Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Hey, this is Pastor John. So glad to be with you again another another week. Man, I miss my church so much, and I've been praying for you guys and just praying for everything that's happening right now. And I hope that you've been praying for each other and you've been praying uh, for your church. If this is your first time joining us in our online community, I just want to say welcome uh, to the outpouring. If this is your first time joining us, I'm excited for you to join us online as much as I would be excited if you joined us physically. But since we're not able to meet physically, we are going to worship together Virtually, So I hope that you are ready to receive word this morning. Before I go further, I just want to give a shout out to our worship team who has been phenomenal these last couple of weeks. And uh, they've adapted to the change that we've had to put in place because of everything that is going on around. I also want to just give a shout out to all the people in our church that make Um, make us do what we do, that they make us successful. I am not that smart and I am not that gifted, but I have a beautiful group of people who help in the day-to-day operation of our ministry. So I just want to shout them out wherever they are. With that being said, uh, if you got a Bible, I want you to grab it for me this morning. I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. And when you get to Philippians, I want you to turn with me to chapter four. Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. I mentioned uh, last week um, in last week's recording that um, that we had been in a series uh, for this year uh, called uh, Living on Mission. And the theme of our church this year and moving forward is part of our vision, which is to live on mission. We want to see people live on mission where they live, learn, work, and play. When I say live on mission, what I mean is that I want to see them live on gospel mission. I want to see, our church wants to see each other live out the great commission that Jesus commanded his disciples to live out in Matthew 28. That means that you're not just a Christian at church on Sunday mornings, but that you live out uh, what you believe about God and you believe you live out your faith in the world on a day-to-day Basis. We go into the world and make secular spaces sacred for the glory of God. And so if you got your Bible uh, with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Philippians 4 if you're not already there. And I'll begin to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Bible that I'm reading from is the CSB Bible, um, but you can follow along with whatever Bible that you may be reading from this morning. Here's what it says, Philippians chapter 4. Verses four through seven says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful, gracious, beautiful opportunity, God, to study together no matter where we are in this nation, in this city. Um, Lord, we just thank you, God, that we can open up your word, God, and that you can speak to us, Father. And so, Father, we don't take it for granted 
that we have this opportunity to meet, even if it is online. Father, we thank you um, that that you're going to speak to us today, God, that you're going to speak to us, not just individually, God, but you're going to speak to us as a group of people, God, as a corporate body, God. And so, Father, I'm praying this morning, God, above all, that Christ Jesus would be glorified this morning. Father, I pray that Jesus's name would be made great this morning, Father. And so this morning, God, as we gather and we study God and we preach and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that they would not just see me, God, but that they would hear your word. And so, Father, I thank you for the transformation that will take place as a result of your word. And so, Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. My, my sermon title this morning is Peace in Times of Uncertainty. Peace in Times of Uncertainty. I thought that this would be relevant to what we talked about last week when we talked about peace with God. Peace in Times of Uncertainty. You know, last week we talked about peace with God. The peace with God that we were talking about is the peace that has been brought because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When there was once hostility between humanity and God, Jesus stood in our place and Jesus took on the brunt of our sins on the cross. Our sins was punishable by death, but Jesus stood in our place and there was a great exchange that happened. Jesus took on our sin, but on the cross for those who are in Christ, we received his righteousness. So we as Christians, as believers, we're not saved because of anything that we can do. We're simply saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that took place on the cross. That Jesus Christ died for our sins, but was raised from the grave. And so because we now have peace with God, that peace with God brings peace with God. And so when I think about peace the peace of God. I think about Paul and his letter from prison that he writes to his beloved church in Philippi. Paul is writing to a church while he is in prison. That is right. Paul is writing from a church while he is confined in a space and he is not sure when he will get out. He's not sure when he will be released to be free again to go back to his day to day responsibilities. And so this letter is addressed to a strong group of Christians. By all accounts, this was a very mature church. And the reason that we know that this is a mature church is because this church serves as a model of sorts. Um, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions this church as a church that is exemplary because of what they did in regards to giving to the gospel mission. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in particular, this particular church, Paul highlights as a model of generosity. While they were going through a severe test of affliction, they gave a wealth of generosity, although that they were impoverished. It is a real mature person who can give and practice abundance in times of scarcity. And so they showed that they were not just uh, Christians by their confession. They were showed that they were Christians by their commitment to the gospel mission. And so you have a strong, mature and generous church that serves as a model for other churches. But because 
because they gave in that time did not mean that they were without problems. And so this church had a couple of problems like all churches do. They had four problems in particular. The first problem that this church had was that they had a problem with each other. There were personal grievances that was taking place in the church that was distracting them from gospel mission. The second thing that they had in church, they had some legalistic people in church that was a sucking the spiritual vitality out of the congregation. Number one, they had people who had personal grievances with each other like they do in every church. And secondly, there were members of the church who were so legalistic that they were sucking the vitality out of the other members of the church. But as it relates to where we are today in our time and in our culture, this church also had two other issues that I think we'll all be able to relate to. This church had number one, some financial circumstances. I mentioned to you that they were a model church when it came to stewardship. Financial stewardship, they, they were a model when it came to biblical generosity that although they were struggling financially, they gave liberally, they gave sacrificially, they gave extravagantly as a church. They faced real poverty. I'm not talking about we can live until next month poverty. I'm talking about day-to-day, hand-to-mouth, deep, deep poverty. Poverty, And so they had this issue of financial circumstances like some have today where we're worried about what will happen to us. And the other thing that they had was that they were concerned about their pastor. They were concerned about the Apostle Paul who actually planted this church. They were concerned about Paul because Paul was in prison. They were concerned for two reasons. First, they were concerned with his confinement. And so you see two issues here in the text, one about confinement and one about finances. The confinement issue, Paul is in prison. He is in a tight space and it is uncertain when he'll be able to go back outside. It is uncertain when Paul will be able to go back and do what he was doing before he got locked up. Now, many of us are not locked up as you watch this recording. Many of us are in our houses, but we feel like we are locked up. Some of us right now are suffering from cabin fever. And so this text relates to us all. And so some of us are confined to spaces and we are about to lose our minds. Some of you didn't know how you felt about your kids until you've been locked up with them for two weeks. And so I think after this is over, the teachers in America will get all of the grace, all of the mercy and all of the sympathy. I think parents now have a great appreciation for what teachers go through dealing with your children on a day to day basis. And so this, this, this issue of confinement is present in the text because the church is worried about Paul, who they care for, like some of us are worried about loved ones that are confined to a space because of what is happening in our country. And the second thing that they're worried about is they're worried about their finances. They're worried about where their next meal is coming from. Now, some of us are not worried about where our next meal is coming from, but some of us are worried about how this thing is going to play out with our finances. Will I keep my job? Is it possible that I'll lose my job? How will this affect my finances? How will this affect my family? What what happens if I lose hours at my job? What happens as a result of the loss of income? Well, I want to tell you this thing, this today. Both of these things are reasons for us to be concerned about. But it's not enough for us to be anxious about. And let me tell you this about finances. If you're worried about what is going to happen with the stock market, what is going to happen with your industry or with your job. Let me tell you this about money, whether you're rich or poor, money is an equal opportunity anxiety producer. I'll say it again for the person who just got a notification on their phone and didn't hear what I just said. Money is an equal opportunity anxiety producer. But money is not the only issue that people are 
are facing today, people have fear and anxiety caused by uncertainty, caused by friction in relationships. Some of y'all are in houses with people that people don't know that you don't get along with, but they live in your house and nobody knows. Some of us are dealing with that and some of us are dealing with loss. Some of us are worried about health and our parents and all of those are producers of anxiety. But I want to tell you something today that you can have peace with God, but our anxiety means something. You know what your anxiety means? Deep anxiety. I'm talking about anxiety where you're already starting to lose sleep. Deep anxiety. Anxiety where you, you, you are frigid. You, you, you can't stop shaking. You keep biting your nails. Real anxiety where you've now turned to escapism and things that would not be pleasing to God. You've ran to them because you don't know how this thing is going to shake out. You, you, you have so much fear and anxiety. But let me tell you this. Deep anxiety is symptomatic of misplaced trust. Deep anxiety is symptomatic of misplaced trust. Our anxiety shows that our hearts are set on something that we are terrified of losing. Let me say that again. If you are suffering with deep anxiety, it is symptomatic of misplaced trust. Anxiety shows that our hearts are set on something that we are afraid of losing. And it's sometimes, sometimes what happens is anxiety reveals what our counterfeit gods are. You didn't know that your career may have been a counterfeit God until you were threatened with losing it. You you didn't know that there were people in your family that now you are so stressed out about that there's some like a counterfeit God in your life. Well, I want to tell you something. The good news is because of Jesus, you can have the peace of God, that there's a remedy for our anxiety. And so the Apostle Paul in today's text gives us three things that serve as a cure and a remedy for our anxiety. And the first thing that Paul tells us to do is going to be quite unorthodox. And I just want to warn you, the first thing that he tells us to do is rejoice. Paul is saying, if you are worried, if you have anxiety in your life, the first thing that you should do as a Christian is rejoice. Now, I want to be sensitive to our plight and what we may be experiencing. Rejoicing in the Lord does not mean that we will never experience sadness or grief. It is okay to grieve. It is okay to be sad. It is is okay to have feelings and for your heart to be broken. It is okay. It is okay. Paul understands this. He's not saying that you rejoice because things have happened to you. Paul is saying that we can rejoice because it depends. Our joy depends not on changing circumstances, but our joy depends on the one that never changes. Let me say that again. We can rejoice because our joy depends not on changing circumstances, but on the one that cannot change. Notice when he says rejoice, he doesn't just say rejoice in happy times. He doesn't say rejoice at your job. He didn't say rejoice when you have a lot of money. He didn't say rejoice when you got perfect health. He said rejoice in the Lord. As if to say that true joy can only come when you are in the Lord. I mean, if I'm being honest, sometimes I rejoice and I can replace it with several things as opposed to in the Lord. I I sometimes rejoice in Florida State football. Well, um, the well, well, actually, I hadn't rejoiced in that. And never mind. Some of us rejoice in in NBA basketball. 
Some of us rejoice in, in, in Tom Brady quarterbacking the New England Patriots, but, but, but God was a blessing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and so now we're rejoicing in Tom Brady until Tom retires, and then we'll have to find something else to rejoice about. But my point is this, there are things that we rejoice in, but sometimes we misplace the rejoicing in, and we don't rejoice in the Lord. And the reason why Paul is admonishing us to rejoice in the Lord is because the Lord is unchanging. The Lord does not change with our circumstances. He stays the same, and so he is reminding us that genuine joy can only only come from being in a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. Joy comes from our union with Christ. We can rejoice because we know what God has already done for us and we know what God is doing for us. So our joy is not rooted in what we experience here, whether good or bad, but it is in God. We reflect on the beauty and the importance of our relationship with God and we can have joy. Paul knew that he could rejoice because God saved him. Paul knew that he could rejoice because God supplied all of his needs. Paul knew he could rejoice because he could go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in his time of need. Paul could rejoice because he knew that God was working together all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And just like Paul, you too can rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. God is unchanging. God is consistent. People change. Jobs change. Finances change. Health change. Kids change. Spouses change. But God does not change. He is dependable and God is consistent. And so I know just like you and just like myself, they're probably asking the same question that many of us are asking. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord. And the question then becomes, how can I rejoice when I am experiencing what I'm experiencing? How can I rejoice when I'm experiencing what I am experiencing? And you know what the Apostle Paul does? Paul anticipated their response. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul then says, and again, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul is almost saying, I said what I said. I meant what I said the first time. And Paul is letting them know that I understand your plight and your circumstances, but you can still rejoice. Psalms 94 and 1 says this, when I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. When I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. I just want to say this to you. Uh, God has more care for you than you have worry about things that you have no control over. God has more care for you than you have worry about things that you cannot control. And so Paul is not writing from the ivory tower. Paul is confined to a prison cell. Paul is confined to a space for an extended period of time. He has no idea when he'll be able to be free and go back to life as usual, but somehow he found a reason to rejoice in the Lord. And so that leads us to the next point. Without saying it directly, Paul lets us know another reason that he can rejoice in his confined prison cell. He can rejoice in the product of him writing this letter tells us why he's rejoicing and why we can rejoice. Paul can rejoice because he's not focused on himself. Paul can rejoice because he's not focused on himself. Point number two, he says in verse five, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Point number two is this, be gracious. He says in verse five, let your graciousness 
Be known to everyone. The Lord is near. What he's saying is be gentle. Be, be nice to people. One of the ways that we can combat anxiety and worry is by taking our eyes off ourselves and concentrating on the needs of somebody else. And this is a call for us to prioritize other people's needs over our own. And so Paul is saying, be nice to people and serve other people. Be nice to people and serve other people. And I think Paul is referring back to something that he said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, or 3 through uh, 8. Paul says this, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is a snapshot of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came to earth, that he humbled himself to serve you and I on the cross. And so we are to follow Christ's example. And so he says that we should serve others, that we should be gentle to other people. And he says this to follow it up. He says, the Lord is near. Now, theologians argue over what Paul means when he says that the Lord is near. Some believe that Paul is talking about the return of Jesus, that, that Paul is writing to them and letting them know that the return of Christ is imminent, that, that he's on his way back. And so sometimes people can question Christianity because the gospel tells us that Christ is coming back again. And so some people say, well, you, we've been waiting for years. Where, where, where is he? But I think that they forget that God is not on our time frame. That, that God is not on our time schedule. And so the call to know that the Lord is near is a call, number one, to prepare. It's almost as if to say, don't be idle while you have this time by yourself in the house. Do something. What have you been planning to do? Be, be active in, in what you're doing. Be active in your waiting. Prepare. What are you planning to do? What has God called you to do? What has God told you to do? Have you been reading your word? Have you been studying? Have you been spending more time with your kids? Have you been learning stuff about your family? What has God called you to do that you've been wasting time and not, not acting as if God is coming back? Well, he is coming back at some point. The second thing that Paul is getting at, maybe not that the Lord is coming back. The second time, although he is, maybe he's not saying that it's imminent today, but what he is saying to them that the Lord is near, that he's near to you, that, that if you cry out to God, he is near, that he's not some cosmic God off in the sky that can't relate to you, that no one can know, that no one can know personally, but that he is a God that is near to the brokenhearted, that we can access God, that he is where we are, that he is here with us. Even when we pray, God is here with us. And so Paul wants us to, to do two things. He wants to do two things. He wants to spur us on to activity. And the second thing he wants to do is comfort us. He wants to comfort us. And then my third and final point is this. Paul says that we can relieve our anxiety through prayer. Here's what it says in verse six. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer 
and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Once again, when Paul says don't worry about anything, Paul is not saying don't be concerned. Paul is not saying don't have compassion. This is not a prescription for us to detach from reality and pretend that nothing is happening. Things are happening, but what he is calling us to do is not cross over into the place where fear and anxiety begins to rob us of our peace. It is a time and place when anxiety and worry can cross over into being sinful. And this is what Paul is trying to warn, of, warn us of, is that we should not allow our fear and anxiety turn us into people who create idols out of fear and anxiety itself because it becomes sin. And so the cure for our worry is praying. The, the antidote to not being paralyzed by fear and by the uncertainty of what is going to happen is to pour out our hearts to God. He wants us to pray. He wants us to come to God. He wants us to come to God in prayer. Last week, we talked about having access to God. You can pray no matter how far you feel that you are away from God. Being with God ain't about your feelings. It's about living in the reality of the truth, knowing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But with that being said, he calls us to prayer, but there is a proper way to come to God. He says, come to God with thanksgiving. He, he says, come to God with thanksgiving. And, and, and so I'm from the South and my parents are from the South. I have great, amazing parents that raised me well. I have good parents. But um, when, we, when you come to your mother or you come to your father, th there is a way that you Come to them when you want something. When you, you've been raised how some of us were raised, you, you don't just come making demands on your parents. You don't just come telling your mom, you better do this. You don't come to your daddy with your laundry list and saying, you, you better do that. Where, where I'm from, the, the only thing that you're going to get is something that's not a timeout. Shout out to all the timeout parents across the globe, but I didn't grow up in a timeout household. The only timeout I know about is timeouts in basketball games. But other than that, you, you don't come to your parents any kind of way. You come saying, thank you, may I, please, can I? You go with your request in reverence and with thanksgiving for what they've already done for you, but some of us come to God like he's some cosmic bellhop, like we come to God with our laundry list demanding that he does things, but God is not your do boy, God is your father, and so when you come to God as a father, you come to him with reverence and respect, there is a right and proper way to come to God, although you have access with God, and so he calls us to approach God with thanksgiving, when was the last time you came to God, not with your list, but you started off with, God, thank you. God, things are not perfect, but God, thank you. God, I'm not where I need to be, but God, I am further along than where I came from. God, God, thank you for everything that you've done. God, if you never do anything else for me again, God, I thank you for saving me. God, thank you for protecting me in times when I didn't know that I needed protection. God, thank you for sparing my life when I had no idea that death was right around the corner. God, thank you for everything that you've done for me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for my family. Thank you, God, for my children. God, thank you that I have a roof over my head. When was the last time you came to prayer with thanksgiving? And so it's not that prayer will keep us from having problems. Prayer allows us to lay the weight of our worries down and cast.
hairs on God. Prayer won't keep us from having problems, but prayer will give us peace in the midst of our problems. And I can't think of a better example of somebody praying with imminent problems. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 34. Through 46, Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, records Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is to go to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is physically going through it. He is sweating drops of blood. He is concerned with prolonged separation. In his humanity, Jesus is anticipating physical, emotional, and experience because he's about to go to the cross. More than being separated from his family, friends, disciples, co-workers, and classmates, he knows because of our sin, he is about to be separated from the Father. And this is the worst type of distancing. This is the worst type of separation because this type of separation will not save his life. It will cost him his life. And Jesus goes to the cross and stands in our place and he dies for our sin. We get his righteousness and he was raised to life so that you and I can have eternal life so we don't have to stress because Jesus took on our stress, our anxiety, our sins, and our worries on the cross. So what is the result of all of this? And I'm done. Paul tells us what the result of it is in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. The peace of God that will surpass all understanding. It won't even make sense. This is the type of peace that transcends rationale. That, that you can have peace and endure pain at the same time. That, that you can have peace and you don't even know why you got peace. That, that it doesn't even make sense because of the circumstances. And this is for anybody that has lost a job, lost income, has gotten sick, has a family member that's gotten sick, anybody that's going through, for anybody that's sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you are in Jesus, after you've poured out your heart, God will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. It will cause you to be at ease even when you should be worried. Doesn't mean you don't care, but it means that you go to sleep at night. Doesn't mean that you don't have concern, but it does mean that you don't have to turn to something that will be detrimental to your soul. And Paul invites them in to this peace of God that comes as a result of having peace with God. You can have peace because Jesus got out of the grave. You can have peace because although he died, he was raised to life for you and I. 
He has risen and overcome every sickness, every disease, and anything that would separate us from God. I want to remind you this morning that you can have peace with God. If you are in a relationship with Jesus, you are a believer. You, you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a reminder and encouragement that your peace is not in what's going on. Your peace is in the Lord. This is not some peace that we manufacture, but this is peace that is only given by God. You can't do it by yourself. But when you are in him, you can have peace. If you are not a Christian man, I love you. And I just want to tell you this morning that or today or tonight, whenever you're watching this, I just want to tell you that before you can have the peace of God, you need to have peace with God. And peace with God only comes by or through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That you, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been in it, no matter how far away from God you think you are, no matter how hard it seems, Jesus is near. Well, what does that look like? It looks like I acknowledge that I that I'm a sinner. And that's not condemnation for people that are not in church. We, we are all sinners saved by grace. Those of us that are in Christ, we're not better than you. The only reason that we have any righteousness is because of Christ. It's not our works and it's not your works. There ain't enough good works in the world for you to win God's favor. Being in a relationship with God comes through Christ Jesus. You don't have to be spooky. You don't have to be deep. You don't have to speak in another tongue in order to have a relationship with God. It's as simple as this. I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of God's grace. And I surrender my life to Christ. As hard as it is for me, I turn from my sins and I turn towards Christ. And I trust him in his finished work, not my own. So I want to extend that to you as the singers come to close us out. This is an opportunity for you. For those of us that are worried about what's going on, I'm going to pray for you as they come now. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. God, we come to you with gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and for everything that you've done for us through your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you, Father, for all of the essential things that we take for granted. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, Father. We are sons and daughters of God, that we are loved by you, that we are the beloved, that we are loved by God because of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you today. We, we praise you today. We honor you today right where we are. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.